This hearing of the Senate Foreign Relations Subcommittee on uh, Africa and Global Health will come to order. Uh, we had the NOMS hearing uh, just a few, uh, well, last week, a week before. We thought that would be the last one for this subcommittee, but uh, we liked it so much we thought we'd come back. So we, we have to do uh, hearings from, from A to Z or A to Z, and I guess this is Z right here with Zimbabwe. So uh, we're uh, glad to, to uh, finish off with the Congress with this uh, hearing. Appreciate uh, uh, Senator Young being here. I know he has to leave in a minute, and uh, Senator Booker will give remarks and then leave as well. Senator Coons will be arriving. He's on the Senate floor right now. Uh, last July, the people of Zimbabwe voted in a presidential election where, for the first time in nearly four decades, Robert Mugabe was not on the ballot. Mugabe's ouster was one year ago, and uh, that era it ushered in uh, held the promise of peace and prosperity for the people of Zimbabwe, who have suffered for far too long. I had the honor of serving as an election observer, where I bore witness to the excitement of thousands who, who walked for miles and waited in long lines to cast uh, votes that mattered. Um, I was there in a tent late at night, uh, watching them count ballots by kerosene lamp, and it was uh, democracy in its rawest form, and it was a pleasure to be there. But the next day, the excitement turned to horror and disappointment when six people were killed uh, by the army in the streets of Harare after demonstrations uh, turned violent. Uh, we then watched as opposition figures like uh, Tendai Bidi, uh, who's a sitting member of the Zimbabwean parliament and uh, certainly well known to this committee, uh, were arrested on charges of inciting post-election violence. For all of us who've been rooting for change in Zimbabwe, especially the Zimbabweans themselves, these events were crushing. Nevertheless, calm returned and the Constitutional Court eventually declared Emerson Manangagwa the winner of the election. An election result, I should add, that was consistent with reports issued by entities funded by Western governments, including our own. Since that time, President Manangagwa has largely been saying the right things. Uh, some of the reforms, however, have been slow to come. Zimbabwe may be open for business, as is the slogan now, uh, but foreign direct investment has not flowed into the country, as many are still wary of uh, the investment climate there. Zimbabwe's economy has gone from bad to worse, leaving people with no access to cash, facing acute shortages of consumer goods, and fuel, and opposition figures and their families continue to be harassed at times. And the fate of those, including Tendai Bidi, who were arrested in the wake of post-election violence, remains unclear. But there are signs of promise. The budget put forward by the government in October is very encouraging. Uh, President Manangagwa has pledged to push Parliament uh, to repeal two controversial measures passed by uh, the Mugabe regime that directly contradict Zimbabwe's constitution. And for the first time in decades, uh, democratic space is being opened in Zimbabwe. And the corrupt shakedowns that Zimbabweans faced on a daily basis for years under the Mugabe era have been a thing of the past since his ouster. The purpose of today's hearing is to get a better understanding of the course Zimbabwe is on so that in the months ahead, Congress can evaluate uh, U.S. policy options and play a constructive role. I've long wished to see Zimbabwe prosper in a manner that its people deserve. 
what happened in the country since I lived there in 1983 is nothing short of a tragedy. That's why I, along with Senator Coons, introduced the Zimbabwe Democracy and Recovery uh, Amendment Act earlier this year, and the bill, which was signed into law this summer, reinforces the markers that the new government needs to meet in order to forge a better bilateral relationship with the United States. But it also signals that the U.S. does, in fact, want to have a constructive bilateral relationship with Zimbabwe. I hope to get a better sense today from our witnesses of whether the new government in Zimbabwe is prepared for that as well. Let me just say, uh, in closing, what a privilege it's been for me to work and be involved with Zimbabwe. As most of this committee knows, I spent uh, time in Zimbabwe 35 years ago as a Mormon missionary. And uh, several years ago, I was able to reconnect with friends there whom I hadn't seen since the early 80s, including one of my missionary companions there, Peter Chaya, uh, who despite a severe disability due, brought on by polio as a child, has managed to raise four children and contribute a great deal to his country. I think of friends like Peter Chaya and know that they deserve much more than they've gotten. They deserve a government that represents them, one that will allow them to follow their dreams and realize the dreams of their children. And it's my hope that we in the U.S. Congress can play a constructive role in making that happen. Uh, so to my colleagues, I say, as I say in Zimbabwe, tatenda. Thank you. Thank you for indulging my interests and allowing me to be involved in a continent and in a country and with a people that I love so dearly. And with that, I'll turn it over to Senator Booker for her remarks. Thank you very much. I thought the last hearing was going to be our last, so I heaped praise and gratitude among, on, uh, on the great senator and the great chairman, Flake. I think he scheduled this one really not about Zimbabwe, but just to hear me again say nice things about him. <laughs> um, but I'm not going to say nice things about him. I'm actually going to criticize him right now because he could probably give a master's class in uh, being a father, a grandfather, and a great husband. But the fact that on your potentially last hearing, you would not point out your extraordinary wife is in the... Uh, audience is just, to me, bad form. Uh, um, um, and she You're is- You're still in my thunder. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. And she is, uh, she, like you, has been such a great leader on issues on the continent. And uh, I did travel to um, Zimbabwe with you, but frankly, what more importantly for me, I traveled there with her uh, and saw her mastery of these issues and how she too has been a partner of yours uh, in trying to support and help the people of Zimbabwe. So I just want to point her out in the audience right there and one up you. Thank you. Now, I'll add sitting next to her is my son, Austin. Oh, I didn't realize that. Who was, uh, How are you doing? The sun also rises. Well. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you. So I want to thank the witness for being here. I express my uh, apologies for having to leave in a matter of seconds. Um, but I want to thank you and, 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 and all for the testimonies. Uh, I, I'm grateful for this hearing. Zimbabwe, uh, again, as I said, has been a part of the senator's life for 35 years, and, and uh, he has uh, been a tremendous leader and humanitarian in his support. Uh, when we visited last April, I was struck by the optimism and hope expressed by so many there about the country's future. Uh, President Mugabe, we know, had recently stepped down from power. Uh, President uh, Mangawa uh, was saying the right things about the need for reforms. International observers were invited uh, to observe the elections uh, and to make sure uh, that the Zimbabwe people had a true democracy. 
uh, but, in but, but uh, Zimbabwe needs more hope, uh, and it needs more than hope. It needs real reforms, and unfortunately, the election has not been a turning point that I think the people of Zimbabwe deserved and desired. Uh, according to the joint NDI-IRI International Observation Mission, incremental improvements in the electoral environment during the pre-election period were insufficient to establish the kind of broad uh, confidence among the political competitors and Zimbabwe's sharply divided populace. It found that Zimbabwe has not yet demonstrated that it is an established a tolerant democratic culture uh, that enables the conduct of elections in which parties are treated uh, equitably and the citizens can cast their vote freely. Uh, the immediate post-election period was seriously marred uh, by the excessive use of force uh, when the Zimbabwe Defense Forces actually opened fire and killed six individuals protesting the Election Commission's delayed reporting of the presidential election results. This violence was accompanied by credible reports of reprisals against opposition activists in certain parts of the country and calls for the arrests of senior opposition officials. Uh, there are, these are not the actions of a government that has turned a new leaf. For decades, Congress has played a key role uh, in the U.S.-Zimbabwe bilateral relationship, most notably through the Zimbabwe Democracy and Economic Recovery Act, uh, Zadera, which again the chairman has been a leader, author, and activist on. Uh, it passed in 2001 and amended earlier this year thanks to, again, the chairman's efforts. Zadera aims to address persistent human rights violations and governance challenges by prohibiting U.S. support for multilateral and bilateral debt relief and credit for Zimbabwe's government. A key condition for lifting these prohibitions under Zadera is a free, fair, uh, and, and credible elections. It's hard for me to see how these recent elections met that condition. U.S. policy towards Zimbabwe must continue to be centered on human rights accountability, democratic values, and economic growth that benefits us all. I look forward to hearing uh, the thoughts and having the thoughts expressed for the record on how Zimbabwe can uh, indeed uh, continue down that path. And I say this, uh, uh, though uh, Senator Flake may be retiring from the Senate, I know he will never, ever, ever retire from his efforts uh, on making Zimbabwe free, uh, more robust democracy, and I will continue to partner with him uh, to this end for years to come. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much, Senator Booker. Uh, appreciate. Uh, being here, um, as I mentioned, Senator Coons is delivering remarks about uh, Senator Corker on the floor. He'll join us shortly. Uh, staff is here, and obviously uh, some will watch from their office. But uh, we'll have two witnesses, uh, or I'm sorry, we'll have two panels today. Um, the first panel is Deputy Secretary of State for African Affairs, Matthew Harrington. I met uh, Ambassador Harrington for the first time when he, this committee considered his nomination to serve as Ambassador to Lesotho. Uh, back in 2013. I'm pleased to see you again before the committee, uh, Ambassador, and I really appreciate you being here. I know you had some travel planned that had to be reorganized after the, the uh, funeral for President Bush, uh, but we're grateful for you being here and giving your expertise. Second panel will feature two witnesses from the private sector, uh, Todd Moss, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State, who currently serves as a senior fellow at the Center for Global Development is no stranger to this committee. Uh, Todd and I spoke in my office yesterday. I was wondering how many times he had testified before uh, this committee on this issue and others. Pleased that you could be here, and uh, um, especially given my last uh, uh, committee chairmanship here. We're also joined by Joseph Matizwa, who flew here on short notice from Zimbabwe to testify today. Mr. Matizwa is a seasoned businessman from Zimbabwe whose experience in the private sector there 
and as a citizen is important for the subcommittee to hear. Uh, I met uh, Joseph um, earlier this year um, with uh, Senator Coons when we traveled to Zimbabwe and uh, we're looking for uh, some, some good testimony there. Also note that uh, Zimbabwe's new foreign minister, Matuli Nube, uh, expressed an interest to testify here today. It's not the practice of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee to hear foreign dignitaries um, testify, um, although I appreciate his desire to be here. I ask him to submit testimony for the record, which he did, um, and that will be part of the record. Uh, with that, Ambassador Harrington, you're recognized. Thank you, Senator. Chairman Flake, Ranking Member Booker, and distinguished members of the committee, thank you very much for the invitation to testify today. I welcome this opportunity to share the State Department's assessment of the current situation in Zimbabwe, the state of our bilateral relationship, and the U.S. position on future engagement. Chairman Flake, let me first take a moment to thank you for your leadership of this subcommittee. We in the Bureau of African Affairs have been profoundly grateful for your commitment, not only to our efforts in Zimbabwe, but also to State Department engagement across the continent of Africa. So thank you for that. On July 30th, Zimbabwe held its first presidential election without Robert Mugabe in nearly four decades. The election took place after a nearly 40-year history of deeply flawed elections, serious human rights challenges, catastrophic economic mismanagement, and widespread corruption. There were some encouraging signs in the pre-election period including the welcoming of credible international observer groups and foreign journalists, and a more permissive campaign environment for members of the opposition. And election day itself was peaceful, but that is usually the case in Zimbabwe. Ultimately, however, the process was marred by the Army's use of deadly force against protesters on August 1st, and reports of supporters and state agents of the ruling party ZANU-PF assaulting and abducting members of the opposition in the weeks that followed. It is clear that Zimbabwe has a long way to go and requires profound political and economic reforms to sustainably change the path on which it has been for nearly four decades. Since taking power last year and since his election, President Imangagwa has consistently stated his commitment to pursuing political and economic reforms as well as a better relationship with us. We welcome the change in rhetoric from the Mugabe years. Since the election, we have seen some promising signs including appointment of a new, more technocratic cabinet, announcement of an economic plan acknowledging the need for significant monetary and fiscal reform, and a budget which, if implemented, would make important strides in that direction. So far, however, the pace and scale of reforms has been too gradual and not nearly ambitious enough. A Zimbabwe that is more capable of providing for the needs of its own citizens and respecting human rights and fundamental freedoms will be a more responsible member of the international community. To reach that end, Zimbabwe will require implementation of fundamental reforms, not merely a commitment to do so. That is a message we have shared consistently with Zimbabwean interlocutors, including President Imagagwa and senior members of his government. We want Zimbabwe to succeed, and we would welcome a better relationship, but the ball is squarely in the government's court to demonstrate it is irrevocably on a different trajectory. There are several steps the government of Zimbabwe could take that would send a strong signal to its own people and to the international community that it is serious about taking the country in a new, more positive direction. First, it should repeal laws such as the Public Order and Security Act and the Access to Information and Protection of Privacy Act, which have long been used to suppress the human rights of people in Zimbabwe. 
and which violate its 2013 constitution. Second, the government should immediately end the harassment of members of the political opposition. It should drop charges against former finance minister and prominent opposition figure Tendai Bidi and all those who have been arbitrarily detained for exercising their human rights and fundamental freedoms. Third, the government should hold perpetrators of the August 1st violence fully accountable. And fourth, the government should move quickly to ensure legislation is consistent with the 2013 Constitution, as well as, uh, as, well as uphold its letter and spirit. Those four actions will not by themselves transform Zimbabwe, but would constitute significant steps in the right direction. We will continue to consult closely with Congress on our approach towards Zimbabwe. The Zimbabwe Democracy and Economic Recovery Act, recently updated by Congress, has provided a very important tool for us and clearly identified the reforms that we expect. Restoration of the rule of law, a commitment to equitable legal and transparent law, uh, land reform, and ensuring that military and national police forces are subordinate to the civilian government. In conclusion, the United States wants a stable, peaceful, democratic Zimbabwe that is genuinely accountable to its citizens and responsive to their needs. If there is real concrete progress along those lines, the government and people of Zimbabwe will find a committed partner in the United States. Thank you very much, and I welcome the committee's questions. Thank you, Ambassador. Um, can you talk a little about uh, ZANU-PF? Uh, obviously, uh, you have the opposition to the MDC, but within ZANU-PF, um, does Manangagwa have free reign, or are there divisions within his own party? There are... ZANU-PF is deeply factionalized, I would say. Uh, one encouraging sign that we saw recently was the appointments of some new faces to the cabinet, technocratic uh, members of the cabinet who have some, ex some experience in the private sector and in international development. And I think many of those are trying to do the right thing. At the same time, there are a lot of, uh, of the old guard who remain in influential positions. And I think one of the challenges the reformers will face is that the political elites uh, have held on to power through deeply entrenched patronage networks and will be threatened by some of the reforms that have been proposed and will do everything, uh, everything they can to try to undermine those efforts. President Manangagwa took over uh, about a year ago, but he's only been the elected president for about four months now. Uh, is that sufficient time to carry forward or carry through on the reforms that, uh, that need to be taken? Uh, Senator, I guess I would answer that in two ways. Uh, one, it took Zimbabwe a long time to dig itself into this mess, and I think it will take some time to dig itself out of the hole, number one. But two, there are some things that government, some steps that government could take now to send the right message that it is trying to move uh, Zimbabwe in a different direct, uh, direction. And these are steps that we have shared with the government. Number one, as I mentioned in my opening remarks, repeal of POSA and IEPA, two very repressive pieces of legislation, could be done now. It doesn't require support or assistance from the international community. Number two, uh, a need to stop harassing members of the political opposition. Uh, you mentioned the, the charges against Tendai Bidi. We think those should be dropped. There was an incident a couple of weeks ago of somebody being arrested in Bulawayo simply for criticizing the president. So that's, that sort of stuff can be, uh, can be stopped now um, and would send the right message that things are changing. The Commission of Inquiry that was convened by the President to investigate the, August, the violence on August 1st has now completed its work and submitted its report to the President. It has not yet been made public, 
we would encourage the president to make the findings of that commission uh, public, and if the recommendations are credible, to implement those recommendations. Ultimately, we are looking for those who are responsible for what happened on August 1st and in the aftermath uh, to be held accountable. And the fourth uh, step we would ask them to take is to begin to align uh, a number of pieces of legislation with the 2013 Constitution. Mm -hmm. These are steps that they could take uh, in the short term without a whole lot of, of assistance from the international community and would send the right messages, I think. Can you talk a little about the opposition, the MDC, uh, the factions within the MDC? Are they, um, uh, Mr. Chamisa does not have a seat in Parliament. Tendai Bidi does. Uh, what uh, what has been their response? Are they still holding protests or disputing the election results? The MDC has long been factionalized, as you know. The, the biggest part of the MDC now is the MDC Alliance, led by Nelson Chamisa. Uh, the MDC Alliance and Mr. Chamisa himself uh, have not moved beyond the election. I think they continue to challenge the legitimacy of the election. Uh, Mr. Chamisa led a protest last week in downtown Harare, challenging those results. Uh, I think clearly the election was not a level playing field. There were major issues with the election. It was better than past Zimbabwean elections, but granted the bar is low uh, in that respect. Um, what we would like to see from the opposition, one, we encourage dialogue between the MDC alliance uh, and government. We think that's important. We would like to see the opposition play a role in defining how, what the important reforms are moving forward to move Zimbabwe in a different direction and to play a role in determining how those will be implemented. Uh, and so uh, we would encourage the opposition to engage in that kind of dialogue and also begin to present an alternative vision uh, for where it wants to lead the country and build public support for that. The uh, U.S. representatives in the international finance uh, institutions are prohibited from voting in favor of uh, new loans to Zimbabwe under the rules that were put in place uh, by the U.S. Congress uh, until uh, rule of law, transparent land reform, um, all these things that we've been we've talked talked about. Uh, how far do you think the Zimbabwean government is right now from meeting these goals? Um, what's a realistic timetable, then what should the posture of the U.S. Congress be in the meantime? I think, as I noted in my introductory remarks, I think the tone is different. Uh, the budget that was recently submitted uh, in late November by the finance minister who you mentioned in your remarks contains some important uh, steps that, if implemented, would begin to lead Zimbabwe in a good direction on the economic side. I think one of the things uh, that we have stressed in our interactions at all levels of the Zimbabwean government, those meetings often start on their side with a statement, Zimbabwe is open for business, as you indicated, and that's fine, but we have reminded our interlocutors that the political reforms are just as important and inextricably linked to the economic reforms as well. So a lot of promises have been made, not a whole lot of action has been implemented, and I think the steps that I laid out, some of the steps they could take to send the right messages could be done in a matter of months. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. Well, Senator Coons has arrived. Uh, as I noted before, we've traveled a number of times to the region and, and into the country of Zimbabwe. Uh, memorably a few years ago, and we sat down for a, a very long um, uh, dinner with uh, Robert Mugabe that we really didn't ask for, uh, but got nonetheless. Um, and later, uh, Chris led a memorable coattail where we met with uh, President Manangagwa uh, before the elections and, uh, and heard uh, some of the commitments that were being made at that time, some of which have been followed through on. 
uh, some of which uh, still um, need to make progress on. But uh, uh, I want to turn this over to Chris Coons. Thank you, Senator Flake. Um, thank you for being a tremendous chairman of the subcommittee and for the opportunity to travel with you and work with you. Uh, Zimbabwe, as I'm sure uh, we all know, um, it was an important uh, place uh, that helped shape uh, a young Jeff Lake, uh, and uh, he and I are just about the same age, and I spent a similar amount of time in Kenya and South Africa as he did in, uh, in Zimbabwe and South Africa and Namibia, and to have the chance to work with you on these issues, to travel with you, has been a great blessing. Um, that trip in February of 2016 that resulted in the uh, unscheduled tea uh, with Robert Mugabe, um, you know, someday should either of us write a book, I bet you that deserves a chapter right there. Um, it was a fascinating insight into the dynamics at the time and the challenges that our ambassador faced and that our relationship faced. And when we got to return oh, this past April uh, to meet with a whole series of um, Zimbabwean leaders, uh, it was a reminder just how much potential and promise there is in Zimbabwe, just how badly uh, the people of Zimbabwe need reforms in the economy and in the governance. And uh, we did indeed have encouraging conversations with President Mangagwa um, and a wide range of uh, civil society and economic leaders. Um, we worked hard to pass Zadera, the Zimbabwe Democracy and Economic Recovery Amendment Act uh, together, um, updating the framework for U.S.-Zimbabwe relations. Um, and four months after elections and after the passage of the Zadera Amendment Act, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing more about where's our strategy, where are we going, and what is most likely to achieve the results we've worked so hard to, to see. And I look forward to our second panel of witnesses. Let me start, if I might, Mr. Ambassador, by just asking about the nature of China's engagement with Zimbabwe at this point and how it's changed since Mnangagwa assumed the presidency. Um, China played a significant role in the liberation struggle, um, supported a lot of the efforts of um, groups that were fighting against the Rhodesian state, and so they've enjoyed a long and close relationship with Zimbabwe uh, post-independence. Um, but I'm concerned about rising indebtedness, I'm concerned about um, security cooperation, and uh, would just be interested in your views on how uh, China, which is active in virtually every country on the continent, um, is active in Zimbabwe and what direction that might take and whether there's any room for cooperation or partnership or whether there's inevitably some conflict in terms of our values in approaching Zimbabwe. Thank you, Senator. And as you point out, this is a challenge we face across the continent. It is certainly a challenge that we face in Zimbabwe. The relationship goes way back to the liberation era. I think in, in, since uh, President Mugabe's um, uh, assumption of power after the departure of President Mugabe, he has visited, he's conducted a state visit to China. Uh, there, he is looking for investment from China as well. So that relationship is active. It's a major trade relationship. Uh, I think one challenge Zimbabwe will face going forward as we, if we reach the point where we think about uh, debt forgiveness or new lending, we're not anywhere close to that yet. Uh, I think uh, we will have to deal with the fact that about a third of Zimbabwe's debt is owed to non-Paris club creditors uh, with the lack of transparency that comes with. So that will complicate the way forward economically should we reach that stage. Well, so let's talk about that because Zadera prohibits U.S. support right. for multilateral and bilateral debt relief and credit um, for the government pending free and fair elections, adherence to the rule of law, other economic and political reforms. And we heard uh, directly from the president uh, and some of his senior leaders and, and close allies a commitment to making progress in these areas, which I found very encouraging. I, I would like nothing more than to see the reforms in Zimbabwe that would support then our lifting uh, all restraints and to see Zimbabwe back to being an open and healthy economy. Um, just review, forgive me my delay, I was actually speaking about uh, Chairman Corker on the floor 
uh, and his uh, great leadership of the Foreign Relations Committee. Um, to what extent has the government actually made progress on meeting the conditions laid out in the Zadera Amendments Act? And what do you see, um, what advice, if any, would you give, to the extent that's appropriate, um, to President Trump on supporting arrears clearance by certifying Zimbabwe's met any of these conditions or invoking the waiver that he has access to under Zadira? As I noted earlier, there's been a change in tone. Uh, there's been a change in access. Uh, our engagements with senior government officials, including President Imagagwa, are much easier than they were during the Mugabe years, and, and that's a positive. We are hearing lots of commitments on the political and economic reform front. President Magagua made a number of commitments in his inaugural speech and in his State of the Nation speech. Uh, and, we've heard, and we've seen a positive budget introduced on November 22nd by the new finance minister, which identifies a number of steps on the economic side that if implemented would, would have an impact. We are seeing so lots, you know, some positive changes on the tone and the rhetoric side. We're not seeing a whole lot of action. Uh, and I, I think we have a ways to go until we would be comfortable coming to the table and making the case for any kind of debt relief uh, or new lending. Uh, I mentioned a bit earlier, we have avoided getting in, giving the government a long laundry list of steps we want to take. I, I've seen that not work very well in other countries. It gets bogged down in internal discussions about what ought to go on the list, and then the government does 50% and say they've done 100%. So the approach we've taken in close coordination with like-minded international partners is to say, here are some steps that you can take uh, without much assistance from the international community that would send the right message that you're serious about reform. I mentioned repeal of re two repress repressive pieces of legislation, dropping charges against tin diabetes. We see those as spurious charges. Um, uh, holding people accountable for the August 1st violence. We're waiting to see the results of the Commission of Inquiry. All of those steps, if they take them, they could take them in the near term, they could take them without a lot of cost, then I think that sends a message that we're serious, and then we can begin to talk about a different kind of engagement than we've had in the past. And to what extent um, has there been any success in disentangling uh, the finances of ZANU-PF from the state finances? and? The question I'm really getting at is if Zimbabwe were able to clear its arrears and get new loans from the IMF from international institutions, what confidence do you have those loans would actually go to their intended purpose and would help accelerate the development of Zimbabwe and opportunities for its people? At this point, not a great deal of confidence. Uh, corruption has been a major problem in Zimbabwe. Uh, the, the president has indicated, among other political and economic reforms, uh, a desire to focus on rooting out corruption. There, has, there have been steps taken to arrest or to file charges against some pretty prominent figures, but they all fall in the camp of uh, President Mugabe's political opponents. We would like to see that effort broadened to include everyone who is suspected of, of corruption, regardless of political affiliation. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Ambassador, thank you for your service um, in an exciting, challenging, um, difficult post, a great nation. Um, one of the things that's always impressed me is the level of education and uh, sophistication uh, of Zimbabwe's uh, people and political culture and robust uh, environment for political dialogue and, and enormous potential. It is my hope that um, working together in the years ahead, we can really make a difference um, in advocacy. Um, and thank you again, Mr. Chairman, for the chance to Question I look forward to our second panel. Well, thank you. Just uh, I might add uh, how proud we are to have uh, Ambassador Nichols there. Uh, he was thrown into it uh, just a couple of weeks before the election, a uh, real baptism by fire, but he's done a great job. Um, I know that he uh, 
and he keeps in regular touch with us uh, to keep us informed of, about what's going on. That is appreciated. Um, I, when I was there, I, I noted to uh, President Managagua that it would be uh, the government of Zimbabwe would be well served to have regular contact uh, with the ambassador uh, before issues come up uh, or as they come up, rather than than afterwards. And I believe that that is happening, and uh, that's a good thing. Uh, Ten diabetes has been raised a couple of times here. I, I can say, and I hope that you'll take back uh, to the Zimbabwe government if they're not uh, listening in now to this, that it would be difficult to, to move forward uh, with any type of relationship with Zimbabwe and move forward on the pro and progress on some of these issues while char charges are still uh, leveled against him and he uh, is not allowed to travel freely. His passport has been revoked, I believe. Uh, he is a friend of this committee. He's been here a number of times. And uh, I, I was pleased to see that you had that among your list of things that they could do. That would be a, a pretty uh, visible outward sign that they're ready to move forward uh, beyond uh, the past. So uh, thank you with a thanks to the committee and appreciate again your willingness to, to stay here and uh, readjust your travel plans. Uh, but uh, appreciate it and we'll now move to the second panel and uh, just uh, recess very briefly while the second panel pulls up. Well, thank you. And uh, having already introduced uh, this panel, we'll go ahead and uh, turn to you, Mr. Moss. Thank you for being here. Great. Thank you, Chairman Flake, uh, Ranking Member Booker, Senator Coons, other members of the subcommittee. <clears throat> I'd first, if you'll permit me, just like to express my gratitude to you, Senator Flake, for your public service, for your leadership in promoting bipartisan solutions, for protecting the rule of law, both abroad and here at home for standing up for American values, and for being a consistent example of dignity and integrity. Uh, the Senate will be a less august chamber without you, sir. <clears throat> After ne nearly 30 years of working on and in Zimbabwe, I hoped, like many, that the July elections would put the country on a positive path. I had the great fortune of visiting Zimbabwe with a delegation of other former US diplomats prior to the election. Uh, I came away from that trip deeply pessimistic that the election and the promised reforms were anything more than a poorly disguised charade. Uh, events since the election have unfortunately only reinforced that pessimism. We've heard plenty of rhetoric on democracy, national reconciliation, and economic reform. And while we can point to a few token gestures, very little, if any, meaningful change has occurred. First, on the election, the Electoral Commission was very far from independent. As in the past, ZANU-PF and the security forces used intimidation and violence to sway votes. The military was openly and deeply involved in the election. The ruling party even weaponized food aid for votes. Despite having months of advance warning, almost none of the evident problems in the Electoral Commission were resolved. Were resolved. Both the EU mission and the US mission led by IRI and NDI concluded that the election did not meet the mark. The chance for a free, fair, and credible election was unfortunately missed. <clears throat> Second, accountability for violence and past abuses. Mugabe may be gone, yet the government is still largely the same old actors. The government says the country should move on, yet there has been no genuine attempt to deal with past atrocities. These include the Matabeliland massacres, the violence and murders after the 2008 election, and even the recent disappearance and presumed assassination of human rights activists like Itai Zamara. 
Even the August 1st murder of six civilians in full view of the world has been whitewashed. The government even tried to blame the opposition for the violence when the TV cameras show soldiers shooting civilians in cold blood. Third, the economy. Food, fuel, and even US dollars are all in desperately short supply. The new budget has some reforms, at least on paper. But fixing Zimbabwe's economy is not about tweaking the budget deficit by a percentage point or two. It's not about employing more accounting gimmicks. Um, until the government deals with the dominance of the military in the economy, the ongoing rackets by predatory elites, and the flouting of basic rule of law, Zimbabwe's economy cannot be fixed. The roots of the economic crisis are political. The solutions must start with genuine political reform. And we can see the government's state of denial in their passive language. The government says people died on August 1st. No, civilians were murdered by the military in plain sight of the world. The government says we are suffering from food and fuel shortages. No, government mismanagement and profiteering elites have destroyed the markets for food and fuel. The government says that hard currency is suddenly unavailable. No, the country has no US dollars because they have been lying to the population about what's really in the bank. The shallowness of, of the touted reforms are embodied in the shameful treatment of Tendai Bitti. I'm grateful um, that he's been mentioned several times already. Mr. Bitti is one of Zimbabwe's most important legal scholars, a patriot, and the country's most effective finance minister ever. He testified here in this very room almost exactly a year ago, but he could not join me today because the government has taken away his passport. Since July, he has escaped three, at least three attempted abductions, and he was illegally repatriated from Zambia. Mr. Bitti and his family face constant harass and death threats from the security forces, from mysterious groups of thugs, and from a sham court case. If the regime is this brazen against a respected opposition leader, it only hints at the persecution of wider civil society. Finally, I wanna raise a, an issue that I'm sure will come up today, which are sanctions, which are a complete red herring. The government blames US sanctions for their economic troubles rather than grappling with their own mismanagement and corruption. There are about 70 people and about 70 entities on the US sanctions list. Zimbabwe's leaders cannot borrow, not because of US sanctions, but because they have not paid their bills and are now more than $5 billion in arrears. Blaming the US is just another example of this government failing to take responsibility. In this context, the US should be extremely cautious in its re-engagement. We should exercise strategic patience. Fortunately, we have a roadmap to guide US policy. The Zadera Amendment of 2018 sets out very clear conditions for American support. These include concrete steps toward respect for the rule of law, the opposition, human rights, and getting the military out of politics. Zadera provides a roadmap to a sustainable economic recovery that does not make the US and other donors complicit in preserving the status quo. Until Zadera criteria are met, the United States should withhold support for debt relief and new loans. Instead, we should speak out about what is really happening inside the country and we can be far more aggressive in our support for embattled civil society and human rights defenders who are quite literally putting their lives on the line. The least we can do is stand with them, amplify their voices, and help strengthen their resolve. They have proven worthy of our support. The government of Zimbabwe has not. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Moss.
Mr. Matizwa, and, and thanks again for traveling all this distance and uh, for rearranging your schedule because of we rearranged ours. Thank you. Chairman Fleck, uh, members of the uh, committee, I thank you very much for inviting me to make this presentation today. I was most privileged in April this year to have uh, the opportunity to meet Senator Fleck and Senator Kunz and members of the committee in Zimbabwe. I'm here as a representative of the Zimbabwe private sector, which for long has been an absent uh, partner in this process. Uh, we have not had the opportunity to have our voices heard uh, in this committee. I'm here not as a politician, I'm not a politician, I'm a businessman. I lead the 63 members of the Zimbabwe Stock Exchange Listed Companies Forum, which are the bulk of the private sector in Zimbabwe. Mr. Chairman, fellow members of the committee, I have already deposited my written submission, which is quite substantial. I'm not being familiar with the proceedings here. I uh, will summarize kind of um, my remarks uh, over and above the submission I've already made. I would like first to paint the picture uh, in Zimbabwe as we see it from the private sector point of view. First of all, and very critical to us, Zimbabwe has embarked on a difficult and very painful road of transformation. For the first time in 38 years, uh, Zimbabweans can express themselves freely. It was unheard of to experience the kind of freedom of expression that we see in Zimbabwe today during the time of Robert Mugabe. Uh, but what we observe, Mr. Chairman, is that there's a crisis of expectations. People having been in bondage for 38 years now want everything today. Uh, there's a palpable sense that in fact, uh, solutions must be proffered now, today, or yesterday, if possible. We submit, uh, submit Mr. Chairman, that uh, from a private sector point of view, we know how difficult it is to uh, change things and to transform Zimbabwe. Now, for the first time in four decades, we are seeing that uh, fundamental issues confronting the economy are being confronted. And there are many fundamental issues that are distortions in this economy. Fiscal indiscipline, current account imbalance, and sustainable domestic and international debt, corruption, infrastructure decay, unemployment, deepening poverty, and lack of economic competitiveness across the economy, and many more other challenges. These are well known. These are not denied. They are a reality. The fact of the matter, though, is that they are being tackled today. Our observation is that the president, with his new administration, has taken a number of very bold measures uh, to correct things. First of all, he has put in place a new team, a new cabinet, a trimmed one, a cabinet dominated by technocrats, including the Minister of Finance, the Minister of Transport, the Minister of Industry, and indeed the Minister of Roads. Uh, these people have been in office for three months. We submit that it is too early to judge them. We want to give them more time to, in fact, deliver. Uh, Mr. Chairman, members of the committee, we also note that there has been a very unambiguous uh, stance taken by the President of Zimbabwe uh, to, to rejoin the International Community of Nations and to remove Zimbabwe as a pariah state. That is very clear and very unambiguous. We note, Mr. Chairman, a shift by the leadership in Zimbabwe from a narrative of politics and hate speech that dominated the Mugabe era to a narrative of economic engagement and economic progress. We have noted the articulation of a vision, Vision 2030, 
with uh, very clear timelines and targets to get Zimbabwe to become an upper middle class economy by 2030. Subsequent to the articulation of that vision, Mr. Chairman, uh, the Minister of Finance has articulated a transitional stabilization plan, the TSP, which gives very clear guidelines as to how Zimbabwe will emerge in the next two years from where it is today to the desired destination. And subsequent to that, on the 22nd of November, the Minister of Finance has put together a budget that uh, has been dubbed Austerity for Posterity, which is also showing very uh, aggressive targets in terms of fiscal balance and current account balance. Mr. Chairman, uh, we have uh, observed from the private sector a desire by government to aggressively reform state enterprises, which have for long been a burden on the fiscus in Zimbabwe. And we have seen an aggressive uh, timetable for aligning Zimbabwe's laws to the 2013 constitution uh, of Zimbabwe Today, Mr. Chairman has got 299 statutes on his books. Of the 299 statutes, 206 have already been aligned to the Constitution. And uh, there's the remaining 49 statutes that remain to be aligned to the Constitution. Among those 49 are the two controversial pieces of legislation, IPA, and of course, uh, the um, uh, uh, legislation to do with uh, the restriction of uh, freedoms in Zimbabwe. I'm advised very uh, authoritatively that both legislations will be, in fact be appearing before parliament for review and possibly for uh, repeal in the latter part of the life of this parliament. Mr. Chairman, I would like to uh, share with this house the challenges that uh, face Zimbabwe post the elections in Zimbabwe, political polarization, uh, the currency volatility, the persistent shortages of foreign currency, the inflationary pressures that are underway currently, and of course the unresolved issues returning to land reform. We note that our government has taken uh, some very fairly bold measures with regard to land reform. First of all, uh, bringing in uh, a sustainable land tenure system through the introduction of uh, uh, the 99A lease program, which uh, will see land being transferable and which will see security of tenure among the land owning classes. Uh, contrary to Mugabe's previous uh, practices, uh, farmers of all color and creed have been allowed to come back into Zimbabwe to form joint ventures with existing landowners so that they can put land to protect progressive use. We have seen, in fact, a number of uh, white farmers coming back into Zimbabwe as a result of that consequence, that consequential reform. Mr. Chairman, uh, a large part of the reform that we have seen recently is also the revision of indigenization laws. This has taken the private sector in Zimbabwe by surprise because they were bold, they were unexpected, and they were substantial. Uh, today, as we speak, uh, the uh, law requiring uh, any investor to have to cede 55% of their equity to locals has been removed. And what we have now is a situation where investors can come into any sector of the economy except for two, platinum and diamonds, and have a majority shareholding in those sectors. Mr. Chairman, uh, I'd like to 
conclude my remarks by uh, making a number of uh, comments. Uh, the first is that uh, Zimbabwe is on the cusp of major economic transformation. We believe that the president shows resolve, shows courage, shows determination, in fact, to push those reforms forward. Uh, we do not believe that at any time since Zimbabwe's independence, uh, we have had a leader of that fortitude and resolve. He's fully aware, in fact, that uh, the road ahead is gonna be very painful, uh, but I think we believe that he is probably the person that can push those, those reforms to uh, fruition in the period ahead. Uh, we are aware, Mr. Chairman, that there's no quick turnaround. Uh, the transition will probably take anything between 12 to, to 18 months, and that that transition will be a very, very painful one indeed. Uh, Mr. Chairman, there are challenges that are uh, hurdles that uh, we think the current administration is facing as it embarks on this road of transformation. Number one hurdle is, of course, the sanctions. The sanctions are real. We hear uh, talk that they are targeted sanctions, that the impact, the net impact of the sanctions on the economy of Zimbabwe is large. Uh, we are aware, of course, of the uh, country risk, which is associated with the negative uh, image that is painted as a result of sanctions. Uh, the risk premium in Zimbabwe today is anything between 20 and 25%. We are aware of the uh, trade restrictions. Uh, Zimbabwe is not able to access Agoa, for example, which many African countries are accessing at the moment uh, to their benefit while Zimbabwe is being left behind. We are aware of the economic sanctions, where Zimbabwe is not able to access lines of credit, uh, support from the IMF and the World Bank, and these are very serious hindrances to the ability of Zimbabwe to move forward uh, with the uh, transformation program that we have. Mr. Chairman, we in the private sector have taken a view. And our view is that we got to work with the government in power. We are not politicians. We give constructive criticism. We constantly engage with the president. Only two weeks ago, we met with the president. And I stood up to offer criticism to the president openly. And that is unprecedented. It is the first time that has happened. The president has opened his doors to us to offer ideas, to work with him and his team. There's only one country we have, and that country is Zimbabwe. At the age of 21, I was a political prisoner myself in Rhodesia. I know what it means to have a bad political situation. In 2008, after the elections, when I was the CEO of the largest company in Zimbabwe, I took the initiative myself to bring the government and the opposition together to begin the negotiations on a government of national unity. We committed, Mr. Chairman. We want Zimbabwe to succeed. That's why I'm here today. Thank you. Thank you both. Uh, thank you. Mr. Matizwa, it, it is nice to have the perspective of the Zimbabwe business community here. That's something that I think we've lacked before. Um, if the, Zimbabwean people are going to enjoy a standard of living that they deserve, and it's going to depend on the business community flourishing. And uh, that's why we want to play a constructive role and ensure that uh, the reforms that have been outlined are actually carried out, outlined, or out, outlined or are carried out. 
Um, one thing, many believe that it's going to be difficult, Mr. Moss, uh, to move forward if there's not some kind of reconciliation uh, between the parties. Uh, what would you advise Mr. Chamisa and others in the MTC to do? What should their posture be at this point uh, uh, with regard to the government? And what should be our posture? I think the U.S. postures that we need to listen to Zimbabweans and what they, um, what what kind of process they want to have uh, going forward. Um, there is a significant portion of the population that still remembers what happened in Matabele Land in the early 1980s. It is not up to the U.S. or the Europeans, or quite frankly, um, the government in Harare to tell the Matabele when it's time to move on. Uh, we should listen to civil society groups in that part of the country about what their expectations are um, and what kind of process they want to see going forward. There is a national reconciliation process on the books. It's a total joke. Um, it, has not done, it has not done anything. Um, that is not seen as credible. Um, in terms of what the MDC should do, um, look, this is a party that has gone through several rounds of trauma. Um, it has been, um, it has had at least three elections stolen out from underneath it. It has lost its founding, um, its founding leader, Morgan Changarai, um, and it has been um, thoroughly and repeatedly penetrated by the security forces, uh, by the by the intelligence services. Um, so it's a party that is, is still trying to um, uh, operate within a very, very narrow space. And I think that they are understandably very wary of getting into uh, any kind of power sharing agreement um, again because of their experience with the GNU between uh, 2009 and 2013 where they were given some kind of paper um, uh, authorities but all of the, the real control was maintained by, by ZANU-PF. I, I don't think that they will make that mistake again. Um, the process going forward, I do not know what the ideal process is, but clearly bringing some of the expertise, if you look at the capabilities within the MDC, um, if you look at people that understand how the healthcare system works, education, finance, there's a lot of knowledge and capability there um, that should be brought into some kind of dialogue, and particularly the diaspora. Um, we could come up with a long list of things that the Zimbabweans should do and what would get Zimbabwe going. We could probably guess at most of those things, but until the diaspora starts moving back to Zimbabwe, putting its money back into Zimbabwe, investing back home, that is a sign that there is no confidence, regardless of the rhetoric we're hearing out of Harare. Mr. Matizwa, can you talk about the challenges with regard to the currency um, faced by businesses uh, operating in Zimbabwe, and what, uh, uh, what is the prospect of uh, some reforms there uh, in the short term? Mr. Chairman, um, I think the short answer is that uh, everybody once would like to see a big bang kind of approach to reforms. I think because of the time it has taken for Zimbabwe to come out from the deep hole it's dug it itself into, uh, it won't be possible to have a big bang kind of approach. 
uh, we, we fully appreciate uh, the fact that uh, you have to take a series of measured steps to bring back economic stability. And those series of steps uh, would uh, in indicate uh, a path like the following. First, to establish a fiscal balance, which the Minister of Finance is trying to do now. That will take a while, but our observation is that, in fact, that is taking effect already. The printing of money is slowly stopping. The issuance of treasury bills willy-nilly has stopped. The resort to the overdraft facility with the Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe has been curtailed. And the targets that have been set in the budget indicate discipline coming back. On the basis of that discipline being established, we would expect that the Zimbabwe government would uh, aggressively go out to build some kind of, to build confidence that would allow Zimbabwe to engage in currency reforms. <coughs> Uh, there has been a lot of debate in Zimbabwe. A lot of people have said, let's have currency reforms done now. Uh, let's have a, 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 a liberalization of the exchange rate. Let's, uh, let's have a banishing and punishment of uh, auctioning of, of allocation of foreign currency so that a free system comes into place. We don't think that can be done overnight. In fact, if it was done overnight, there could be very serious unintended consequences that could in fact put the economy in a much more perilous position than it currently is. So my own conviction and the conviction of the bulk of the members of the private sector is to move very gradually, very slowly, very purposefully towards reform because a big bang approach would cause more chaos precisely because of what we've heard already Mr. Chairman that there's very fragile confidence in Zimbabwe at the moment. And because of that fragility, it is dangerous, in fact, to take precipitate action, which is not well thought out. Thank you. Senator Coons. Thank you, Chairman. Well, um, Mr. Matisse, well, I, I respect and recognize you're here not as a representative of the government, but of the private sector, and I will share with the, the Chairman the view that uh, that's a perspective we um, welcome. Um, but I just, in response to the question about sort of how slowly or how diligently those actions might be taken. There's political reform and there's economic reform. And given the very deep hole that Zimbabwe is going to dig itself out of in terms of being a pariah state, both of them have to move. Um, I was encouraged to hear you say you recently met with the president and uh, that there is some intention to move on aligning with the Constitution. Uh, but I'll just say that uh, I believe in our meeting uh, with the Mnangagwa we were told uh, that the Public Order and Security Act and the Access to Information and Protection of Privacy Act would be very soon moving to Parliament uh, for repeal uh, or reform in order to ensure that they align with constitutional um, priorities. Is it not the case if the President wanted that done, it could be done quite expeditiously, not six months, not a year and a half or two years. This, it is possible uh, for Parliament to move swiftly to align statutes that are significantly misaligned with the Constitution. Is that correct? Uh, Senator Kunz, uh, um, if I can respond to your, to your um, observation. Uh, I think the Parliament of Zimbabwe has been in place now post-elections for slightly less than three months. Mm -hmm. uh, within that period, it has tackled a number of bills. And uh, my view, my own observation is that uh, Perhaps the three months is too short. I expect that there should be some movement. We want that done. Mm. We're desperate for that to be done so that, in fact, Zimbabwe can move forward. It is in the interest of the private sector, in fact, 
I was encouraged, uh, I was encouraged Mr. Matizzo, by what you had to say about the indi indigenization um, um, statute. Dr. Moss, is it your sense that there is um, deliberate movement in Parliament to uh, make this sort of economic system and political system reforms, or as you mentioned in your fairly stirring uh, or pointed remarks, I should say, um, you suggested strategic patience um, because you've seen no substantive action to align with um, compelling rhetoric. Uh, thank you for that. Look, there, there have been a couple of steps. You know, indigenization has been partially rescinded. It doesn't apply to the major mining sector, the major parts of the mining sector. Uh, why would that be? That's because the military is involved in those sectors. Um, if you look at, um, at land, yes, they're on paper, they're going to be 99-year leases. Uh, when I last checked, none had been issued. I don't think that if you were a bank that you would be issuing loans against those given the history um, and confidence that you'd have in being able to use land as collateral. Um, and I think when you, when, you, when you step back, you can look at a couple of paper reforms, but when you say, why isn't it moving, there's usually a very important political reason. There's either a powerful ally of the president who's being protected by that, or there is something fundamentally wrong. And I, I would point to agriculture as a good example of that. Agriculture has, for 100 years, along with mining, been the foundation of the economy. Um, the agriculture minister uh, is a former general who believes in command agriculture. He is one of four cabinet members on the US sanctions list. He's not there arbitrarily. As you know, the sanctions list is from very detailed information. That does not speak well about a revival of agriculture, even if they can entice a couple of uh, former farmers to, to come back to the country. So my impression on the political side is that real accountability uh, for the murder of six civilians by troops um, immediately following the election would be a significant step. Um, if the government uh, were to take that significant action, uh, what would it look like? Um, do you think the president is in any way serious about holding perpetrators accountable um, for that action? Um, and I understand doctors in Zimbabwe have alleged state agents are pressuring medical officers um, to falsify diagnoses in order to cover up violence by security services. Um, what's your assessment of the credibility of the commission of inquiry led by President Modlant, former President Modlante of South Africa? So we don't know what's in the report. It hasn't been released. It's supposed to be released. We will see what happens there. Um, I would say the conduct of the commission has not been encouraging. Um, um, I would say that the likelihood, we don't know what will happen, but the likelihood that the real people responsible for that being held accountable is next to zero. Uh, it's possible that some low-level um, uh, actors will be sort of hung out to dry. Um, but I think what's important about this is this is only the tip of the iceberg. The August uh, 1st killings are just the most uh, prominent, and it's because the correspondent for the Financial Times was standing right there. And the violence after the election was far worse in, um, in the East, in Manicaland where we saw, um, it, was, it was like 2008 all over again, where troops and, and ununiformed uh, groups were invading the homes of opposition supporters. They were attacking uh, electoral workers, 
and that was all out of the sight of cameras. Um, so I, I, I don't know how the commission will come out. It doesn't look very good, um, but it, it does not bode well for overall uh, reconciliation and accountability. Last, if I might, uh, Mr. Matiz, but what, what have you seen in terms of any changes um, in capital flows? Um, and what are the reforms that you think um, are most critical for the government to take in order to stabilize and strengthen um, the economy? You've recently had the chance to express that opinion directly to the president. What were the things that you said, Mr. President, you have to make progress on these in order for the economy um, to stabilize again? Thank you, Senator. Uh, I think that um, uh, in addressing your observations, I would point out a few things. that uh, we, we have seen uh, very dramatic changes in agriculture. Uh, for example, when we look at the uh, output in agriculture this year compared to last year, if I single out tobacco, for example, there's been a 34% increase in, in, in our tobacco output from 188 million kilograms to 252 million kilograms in 2018, the highest ever tobacco crop produced in the history of Zimbabwe and Rhodesia. The last ever such peak was in 2000, uh, when 252 million uh, kgs of tobacco were produced. Dramatic, and that is due to the actions of the new Minister of Agriculture who has banished lawlessness on the farms and encouraged production. Cotton production has increased 95% in 2018 compared to 2017. So dramatic increase again in agricultural production. But coming back specifically to your question, Senator, uh, what we have urged the president to do is to move as quickly as possible to ensure that uh, Zimbabwe's competitiveness is restored by taking very determined and bold actions on the ease of doing business, setting up a one-stop investment center, making sure that the uh, regulatory environment is conducive to foreign investors coming into the economy. And uh, we are unhappy about the progress. We think it's slow. Uh, we're pushing very hard to ensure that there's much more rapid progress there. Uh, we would like to see, for example, the president appointing very high level international uh, panel of advisors to keep him on track with the, the expectations of the international business community. He has given us a categoric assurance that he will do so shortly. He's also assembling a domestic uh, panel of advisors from local businesses. I expect that that could be announced anytime soon. But by far, the most important reforms that we are calling for is fiscal stability and the recent budget and the recent uh, transitional stabilization plan are indicative of very strong determination to take that action. We will keep the president uh, on notice, we will pressurize him, we'll talk to him, we'll urge him to ensure that those things in fact do happen. Thank you, Senator. Thank you. Uh, there's an article that uh, just came out today. Um, Manangagwa says, ready to seize idle land owned by top allies. Um, some of the land, uh, the, when it was re redistributed, uh, accumulated uh, with some of the top officials, uh, with some uh, owning, uh, the article notes, up to 20 uh, farms, despite a uh, one, one person or one family, one farm uh, policy, um, including Mr. Mugabe owning several himself. Uh, do you see that as a serious effort, uh, Dr. Moss? Uh, 
and, uh, and how far do we need to go there? I mean, this is obviously land reform uh, in, in Zimbabwe, in Southern Africa, uh, all over Africa is extremely important. Uh, are, is the government taking the right moves here? Short answer is we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see. Um, uh, you know, I think that the, the mantra, we are open for business, which um, uh, what it has not meant is the way, what we think of as being open for business in the United States, which is that we're going to have an open rules-based economy. Um, what that has meant so far is that uh, political elites um, and the military are open to do deals with outside foreigners, uh, with outside investors. Um, if that is what um, is going to happen with land, with mining, with industry, um, then I don't see anything other than a very transactional and actual a, a transactional economy that is um, that a very small uh, cabal of people around the around the president uh, controls the vast majority of the economy. Um, if that's what we're looking for, we're not. It's not going to be the kind of economy that's going to be doing business with Americans. Ms. Matisse, well, I ask kind of a variant of that. It's easy for us to sit here in Washington uh, or elsewhere in the world and, and say, here is what Zimbabwe needs. Here are the reforms that need to take place uh, for the people to have a better standard of living, to feel that they are represented in their government. Uh, what are those? Uh, the things that we say here aligned with what Zimbabweans need and, and what are the most urgent needs in your view? Um, you've noted some of the reforms that you see want to move, but I just want to see, is there, a, is there a schism between what the world wants or what we or policymakers in Washington want or the State Department or others and what uh, you feel Zimbabwe needs? I think we can stipulate that uh, that we have not been pleased with what Zimbabwe has gone through for the past 37 years, nor have Zimbabweans. And they, that was reflected in, uh, in the, the change in government that we saw. Uh, but give us a perspective uh, as someone who was born and raised in Zimbabwe and does business there. Uh, what, uh, is there a difference between what we need or want and expect and what Zimbabweans do? Thank you. Thank you, Senator Flake, for that question. Uh, there's a great deal of puzzlement in Zimbabwe, particularly among the ordinary people and the private sector, as to how it can be that uh, the world sees sanctions as uh, being targeted and having no impact on the economy. When we in the private sector know that, that sanctions actually have a very fundamental impact on our businesses, that we cannot access uh, affordable lines of credit, that the country perception is very negative, that there the are a lot of institutions who are dis-risking out of Zimbabwe, correspondent banks, uh, terminating relationships with Zimbabwean banks. Uh, so we see the impact of sanctions as being much wider and not just affecting the few people or few institutions that are specifically cited in the, in the sanctions. So that's the, that's the first disconnect that we see. I think the um, second large disconnect is that uh, uh, there's a perception here that the Zimbabwean private sector is, is moribund, is non-existent, it's not there. 
It's just the politicians calling the shots all the time. Whereas, in fact, uh, what's keeping Zimbabwe afloat is the private sector. And that over the last two decades, we in the private sector have gone out of our way to do everything we can under very difficult circumstances to keep our companies afloat and to keep the few people who are in employment employed. And the, that recognition is not there. As it's as though we are manipulated by the government all the time. And it, uh, it puzzles us that uh, the world thinks like that. That, uh, in fact, they aren't men of goodwill, of honor, of uh, uh, kind of uh, who are honest and honorable and want to get their businesses to thrive. Whereas, in fact, that's what we do every day, Senator. That's what all the business people in Zimbabwe do. Uh, and so this characterization I sometimes hear about uh, uh, a few people calling the shots, a few people and their cronies uh, doing these deals, it puzzles us and we find it quite uh, unsettling actually, uh, in a way. So there's a big disconnect, I think, yeah. between the characterization I'm hearing here and the truth on the ground. Thank you for that. That, uh, that I have to say, I, I spent time there in the early 80s and didn't return for a long time. When I did, uh, after all that, uh, that we knew about what was going on and heard about from afar, uh, when I arrived there and saw uh, uh, still things functioning as well as they were, it was a testament to what you're talking about. That's right. That uh, the resourcefulness of Zimbabwean people. Uh, to work around uh, the issues that they dealt with on a daily basis uh, and a government that wasn't responsive to their needs or concerns. Um, that, uh, that rings true in what you were talking about. And so I appreciate that greatly. Uh, you mentioned that uh, you, you believe the business community will, will uh, be more active and more vocal about what is needed in Zimbabwe and what uh, the impact of actions that we take here uh, have on the business community and the ability of Zimbabwe to grow and prosper. And I think that that would be welcomed. Uh, Senator Coons, do you have any? Um, I'll make some concluding remarks if I might, uh, Mr. Chairman. Um, my gut hunch is that um, to some extent, the difference in your testimony is a difference in perspective. Um, there is indeed a significantly more open um, society and economy uh, than there was under Mugabe, but it is significantly short of what a free, fair, and open society looks like, um, where rule of law dominates, where um, elections and opposition, um, elections happen regularly, opposition is free to speak, uh, where press is truly unhindered, um, and if there is a, a gap here, it is a gap between, and this was your phrase, uh, there's a crisis of expectations. Um, those who have worked diligently um, many years to try and keep moving what there is of a functioning modern economy, um, I, I think deserve uh, respect for their efforts. Given the opening, um, one of my concerns is that the civil society space that, is, that now exists be widened, not narrowed. Um, if, you, if you read a transcript of our meeting with President Mnangagwa, if you read transcripts of his speeches, if you read the editorial he wrote in the New York Times, he's saying all the right things. Our challenge is the doing. Um, I would agree with you that sanctions have an impact, um, but I would agree with Dr. Moss that there are a whole series of things that the government can and should do um, to move um, towards an economy uh, that is genuinely the sort that uh, investors would be attracted to. 
um, not on the basis of um, access relationships, but on the basis of open tenders and, and fair competition. There is very hard work to be done. Um, I would welcome um, the kinds of changes uh, in Zimbabwe that would, that would support um, the removal of sanctions. I would be thrilled to see that. I think that is in everyone's interest. Um, but a few good speeches and actual change in parliament, in the economy, in governance, there's a big gap there. Um, and I recognize that, um, you know, it's been six months since the elections. Um, there is almost certainly, roughly, there's almost certainly um, an intense um, energy in the country of expectation. When will things get better? When will the economy move? When will I find your recitation of crop reports at least encouraging? Um, my concern is that there's much more fundamental work to do and that remains undone. Um, so um, let me simply say to you, Mr. Chairman, um, between us, uh, we've chaired this subcommittee eight years and um, you've been terrific to work with. Um, I have really enjoyed our work in Zimbabwe, our travel there. Uh, we've been to 12 countries together this year around the world. Um, I will deeply miss the opportunity to work closely and regularly with you on U.S.-Africa relations. Um, a country that um, touched your heart deeply when you were a young man, uh, you've had the opportunity now to engage in actively and effectively as a senator. And um, that's just one of many, uh, I think, chapters in the story and legacy of your service here in the Senate. But I want to thank you for that opportunity. And I hope you will continue to goad and push me uh, in the next Congress uh, to make sure that I remain engaged in the very hard work of trying to help support and sustain a multi-party democracy, uh, free and fair elections, an open society, and a transition towards a market economy. This is very hard work, very difficult work. But if I thought that by the United States simply waiving everything, those results would happen immediately, I'd do so. I don't, I believe the opposite. I believe only by sustaining pressure, only by continuing to say, we want you to succeed, Mr. President and nation, but it's only gonna happen with changes and not dictate a specific narrow menu, but say, here's the general framework. It's the things that the president himself laid out in his editorial now some nine months ago, I think. Um, I look forward to our continued dialogue and work together. I expect we'll stay in regular touch and I look forward to finding ways that we can continue to work together on making sure that the United States remains not just a nation of interests, but a nation of values and where our foreign policy is rooted in putting our values first. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you to our witnesses. Thank you, Senator Coons, uh, for everything. And uh, thank you, Dr. Moss, for your long commitment uh, to a better Zimbabwe. And uh, you've appeared before this committee many times and have, uh, have uh, always brought a perspective that's needed. And Dr. Matisbury, thank you for adding a new perspective that we have missed here and that we should hear in the future. And I hope you'll continue to speak loudly. Thank you for the good work you've done and for the sacrifice you made to be here. Um, I wanna uh, just uh, say before I stop, uh, thank my staff, in particular Colleen Donnelly for uh, encouraging us to know we have a couple of weeks, we can still have another hearing. <laughs> and, uh, I didn't think it would be possible, but uh, she made it possible uh, by working with people. Uh, like Sophia Lalani, uh, Brian Vogt, uh, Jake Gutman on the Booker staff, and also uh, Tom Mancinelli, Ali Davis on your capable staff. And uh, this is very much a bipartisan uh, subcommittee. We work that way and enjoy it. And uh, I appreciate all those who've done such good work and, and uh, for allowing me to be chairman here. So 
Thank you all. The hearing record will remain open uh, uh, until the close of business tomorrow. With the thanks of the subcommittee, this hearing stands adjourned.